Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Our very own Bill Simmons just released his 500th Bill Simmons podcast episode, featuring Bill Hader talking about HBO's new season of Barry, SNL stories, and favorite movies. And for the very first time, Bill is joined by a long-awaited special guest. He also just recorded a new Rewatchables episode on Fast Five with Shay Serrano. And after you listen to the Rewatchables, head over to the Winging It podcast, where Vince and Ken interview the Fast Five star himself, Ludacris, where they discuss his career, his new music, and Fast 9. You can find these episodes and much more Ringer content on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from the Ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, aka Kevin O'Bomber, aka Kevin O'Concert, aka Kevin O'Camera, aka Kevin O'Bumble, aka Kevin O'Climber, <laughs> aka Kevin O'Conflict, aka Kevin O'Candyland. Kevin <laughs> just keeps on going, Chris. <laughs> How are you doing today? We only have a few games left in the NBA season. Thank this is the very end. Of the home stretch. And I'm ready for the playoffs, Chris. Come on. I am ready for the playoffs too, but we do need to figure this out and who we want to be facing each other in these playoffs because there is still a lot to be decided in terms of the matchups. So I went to ESPN puts together their BPI, which is just a way of projecting out the rest of the season through statistical analysis. As of today, their odds say in the Eastern Conference, it would be, and I'm going to go one through eight, Milwaukee one, Toronto two, Philly three, Indiana and Boston four and five, six Detroit, seven Orlando, eight Brooklyn with a 77% chance of making the playoffs with Miami on the outside looking in, which I found intensely fascinating especially because taking a quick peek at the schedule, Brooklyn, who has lost three of four at the worst time ever, is closing their season. Listen to the last four games, Kev. Toronto, Milwaukee, at Indiana, Miami. I'm not sure Brooklyn's going to get there, which would be unbelievable because I thought for sure Brooklyn would... I mean, I just always been under the impression Brooklyn's going to be a playoff team, and obviously they still may, and the odds favor them to be there, even given their remaining schedule, but that seems very, very tough for a team that's obviously lost three out of four. It's probably going to come down to that final game, though, Chris, against Miami on April 10th, final day of the season, Brooklyn versus Miami, fighting for the honor to be the eighth seed. That could be the case, depending on what Orlando does, because for the Magic, there's no guarantee they get in either. I mean, they, they're on a nice little streak here, but with them, like they could always slip as well. It could be that Brooklyn and Miami get in as expected, but it's not easy for Orlando. They face the Knicks on Wednesday. That should be a win. But Atlanta's been tough on Friday. Then Boston on Sunday, who's maybe you get good Boston, maybe you get bad Boston. And then they face Charlotte final day of the uh, regular season at Charlotte, Could be Kemba's last game as a Charlotte Hornet. A lot of emotion in that building. It's not easy for Orlando either. So despite Brooklyn having the toughest schedule of those three teams, they still have a little bit of a cushion that I feel confident that they'll get in. All right, which of those three 
if you had to take two out of the three, would you most want to see playing in the playoffs? Orlando, Brooklyn, and Miami. Well, I want to see Brooklyn get in there. I would really like to see the Nets get in there. They're ahead of schedule. Uh, they have a lot of fun players. D'Angelo Russell, the, the progress he's made, he probably won't win Miss, Most Improved Player of the Year, but it's been great watching him develop. Uh, Karis LeVert getting playoff opportunity after the injury he suffered. I hope we see the Nets get in there. And I also would like to see the Magic too, man. I, I think that would be pretty dope if Orlando were to get in there. Another team that people expected to be in, in the toilet this season, if they were to get in, that would be cool. Given that I don't think any of them are probably going to put up a tremendous fight. Brooklyn, because they have obviously Miami is the one that's been there the most. And I am kind of torn yeah, because we've seen them a lot, you know, we have, but we also saw like, you remember there were a couple moments in time where, and it's not going to be for seven games, but for one or two, you'll get the Dwayne Wade. That is like possibly the best player on the floor for that given night. And it is his like one last dance, as they say, and whatever. So I certainly wouldn't mind seeing Miami there. I will tell you, I am incredibly impressed with Orlando. And I will give you full credit. At the beginning of the season, you said that you thought it was a team, though you said they're still going to stink. And I guess you could argue they do, (laughs) right? (laughs) With these bottom seeds in the playoffs, that they were going to be a fun watch. They have gotten less than nothing out of their top five draft pick in Mo Bamba. They have gotten an all-star year, literally an all-star year, out of Vucevic. This is a team that does not have a point guard that anybody would care about. Well, you're not a fan of DJ Augustine? Not a fan? <laughs> As my backup, I would love him. As my starter, um, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not. I know. <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> to put it lightly. In fact, I, I will tell you, I, I've been covering the NBA for a long time. No one has ever asked me that question. <laughs> about I mean, DJ should, Augustine. Should we spend like 10 minutes on DJ Augustine here? I would rather not. Um, so I thought they would fade. I did. I thought they would fade down the stretch. And instead, they have really surged. And you got to give this guy an immense amount of credit, Clifford. I mean, I, I always thought he was a very good coach in Charlotte. What he's done in Orlando is really impressive. And I know that you're big on bright futures. Like there's actually, <laughs> that is a that is a group of young guys and lottery picks and whatnot that have kind of thrown it together. It doesn't fit all that great. And yet here they are with four or five games left in the season and a real chance at making the playoffs. I give them immense credit. I do. For sure. I mean, they're they're a good story this season. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, their rookie Mo Bamba has not contributed. He's been out, I believe, with a foot injury, if I remember correctly, past couple weeks. Jonathan Isaac, another lottery pick of theirs, drafted sixth in 2017. He has made progress, especially on the defensive end of the floor over the last couple of months. And he's somebody who you look forward, you're talking about bright futures, the bright future magic. Jonathan Isaac is going to be a key cog in that as a versatile defender, a guy who complements other players on, on offense. But the big story, though, ultimately is Nikola Vucevic, Chris. Yes. He is the hub for them on offense. All the playmaking that he does from the center position, extending his range to three-point land the last two years, shooting 36% this year from three, scoring over 20 points per game. Vucevic has turned himself into a really, really good player. Like He's part of the continuing trend we're seeing with centers across the league, extending their range. And for Orlando this summer, 
Vucevic is somebody entering the year, you may be expected to get paid in the 17, 18 million. I'm talking Mozgov money right here. 18, 19 million dollars a year. Now, what is he going to get? He's going to get 20 plus million, I would think, right? I still am torn on what the big guy market is going to be. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic when I say Mozgov money, by the way. No, I know. But, I'm, uh, but in terms of big money out there, do you think there's going to be a lot of big money out there mm. for the big guys? The DeAndre yeah. Jordans, the Jonas Valanciunas's, the Nikola Vucevic's, the guys that are out there. It feels like the going rate on them like if you're buying stocks, I, I don't necessarily think I'd buy stocks. Uh, certainly, I'd buy more stocks in wings, possibly getting paid slash overpaid than I would big guys. But I'm not sure. I think maybe dependent upon what happens in these playoffs, it might actually affect that because you know that the league is a copycat league. And so if you have somebody that plays extremely well in the post and creates a massive advantage for a team, other teams may look to that and say, you know what? Everybody's trying to do it the other way. They're all trying to have a bunch of six five to six nine guys that are multi-positional, that can switch on defense and whatever, and rim runners and whatnot. Whereas it's nice to have the asset that is Yang when everybody's yinging, right? As they say. And so get somebody that can create you an advantage like that. And there is no doubt in my mind that Vucevic has benefited from that. Because you have so many guys that now maybe wouldn't have been playing center at all. Certainly five years ago wouldn't have been playing center. And so if you've got somebody that can really post score, it creates quite the advantage for you in an age where a lot of these guys are small and a lot of these guys are face up players. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. You know, with Clint Capella, he signed the five-year, $90 million contract to stay with Houston last summer, and he's a great center. And, and and with him, I do wonder, with other teams, was it concern about his system fit, how he is just in the perfect situation for Houston, and another team may not be able to replicate that um, and get the most out of Capella that the Rockets can and do. With Vucevic, I wonder, will he be somebody because he can fit into more different types of situations with his role as you know spacing the floor a little playmaking from him as well will he be somebody that ends up getting paid a little bit more or are you right chris that somebody like deandre jordan first of all like deandre jordan's not good anymore so that, that's one of the reasons why he didn't get paid but he still got the big one year deal at 23 million dollars so uh, perhaps that's what ends up happening with, with some of these centers moving forward. They get big short-term deals rather than long-term contracts. I don't know, but it's going to be well, interesting. I, I would tell you regarding Capella, I 100% agree with those teams that think, I, listen, I'm not giving his fit full credit, but it absolutely maximizes what he is. And he would be a radically different player, possibly a forgotten player playing elsewhere. It's just perfect for his skill set. Look no further than what happened when he was out and they acquired Kenneth Farid, a totally forgotten player, completely forgotten. But they're able to, right? Can you set the screen and can you dive to the basket? Because you have two of the greatest pick and roll players to ever play in the NBA. And can you catch lobs and can you finish those lobs? And if you can, and if that is what you are, if that's what you're elite at, it's the perfect fit. Whereas on a lot of teams that aren't playing that way, I do not think it would accentuate his talents in the least. And so part of that is he's worth the money to them. I think another team paying Capella that amount of money, 
without the type of players that they have on the perimeter would be incredibly foolish. I do. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> you know, it would. I, I mean, mean I'm, I'm like, with you on that last part with Orlando paying him. Uh, part of the reason why I like the Bright Future Suns so much is because of their cap flexibility moving forward. I'm not sure Vucevic is the guy you want to be paying in the 16 to $20 million range into his 30s. I want to see. If this can shake out the correct way, I kind of want it. As just a fan, I would like to shake it out just a little bit differently. So I don't think that either of them are going to be you know, taking uh, Milwaukee to the brink anyway. So I kind of like the John Hammond that's at least a good storyline. John Hammond leaves Milwaukee. He goes to build up. And so now this is kind of what Milwaukee would have looked like a couple of years ago as he is putting together that roster in Orlando. So at least we kind of have that storyline. The guy that used to run that team now runs this team. That at least intrigues me a little bit. And you can see some of the fingerprints on the magic that were obviously left on Milwaukee. And I just think Brooklyn-Toronto could actually be a pretty good series. And you remember, if I'm not mistaken, that was the one, you know, those teams played a couple of years ago, and that was Masai Ujiri walking out to the, uh, what's it called, in Toronto? Wasn't that the one where he walked out on the platform? Oh, yeah, yeah, before the series began. And it was cussing about the Nets, right? (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't that that the one? That was the Paul Pierce KG Nets, correct? Yeah, right. So I kind of like that, too. I kind of, And I think Brooklyn-Toronto could have some wildly entertaining games. By the way, isn't it crazy how quickly Brooklyn has dug out of that hole to actually feel like this team has a future? I mean, all the draft picks they traded for those old geezers and their player development oh being goodness. their player development being so good. In retrospect, they robbed the Lakers for Russell. I mean, sure, they yeah, they hit on Lavert for sure. Some of the free agent signings have been very good. They picked up Joe Harris off the scrap heap. Yeah, adding Ed Davis on a low contract. Spencer Dinwiddie been adding the right veterans. Damari yep. Carroll, a guy who yep. Kenny Atkinson as an assistant coach with Atlanta had before. Uh, it's yep. very important to have the right veterans on your roster. They, they've made so many smart moves in recent years. It would be great if they got were to get rewarded with a chance to make some noise in the playoffs. Even if they don't, yeah. they're not going to win a series against Toronto or Milwaukee, but you know, just to be in there, I think they give the team a platform to show what they can do. Yeah, not to turn the knife on uh, Lakers fans who have endured this ridiculous season because at least the hopes weren't high the last couple of years, but now this year the hopes were high. You look around and you go, I mean, imagine if they keep D'Angelo Russell. Imagine if they keep Julius Randle. (laughs) I mean, these these are guys that they drafted that are elsewhere and got nothing to show for them, literally. I mean, I guess if you want to say Kuzma, which they took with one of the picks that they got back or Hart, but I mean, whatever. Like, I mean, I like Kuzma just fine. D'Angelo Russell, the guy was already an all-star this year, and it looks like he could be an all-star for years to come. And I'm still a big Julius Randle fan. I mean, you would lo- if you think about that Laker roster and you think, all right, who would you rather have? I think you'd be hard-pressed to not say you'd rather have <laughs> D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle in the mix there. And so I think that is obviously a massive part of this with the Nets. The Russell ascension has caused this in large part. Well, he's put that team on his back. Yes. So many times they've fallen behind and he has dug them back with his 
perimeter shot making, uh, improved playmaking. And, and lately, Chris, D'Angelo Russell has also been driving to the rim more frequently as, as well. The last five, six weeks, pretty much since the All-Star break, he's been getting to the rim more. And that, that's going to be the key ingredient for him moving forward. Because that shot is not always going to be falling. You can't be solely reliant on that when you're not an elite shooter. Russell's a very good shooter, not an elite shooter. Shooting 36% from three on the season. He's not Steph Curry out there, which is fine. He's not James Harden out there. That's good. But he, So he needs to overcome that by getting to the rim more often. So it's nice to see that development from him right now. Um, he's not where he needs to be yet. But Russell has obviously entered the season making a leap. He's made a little bit of a leap during the season as well. Probably not going to win most improved player of the year. He deserves some votes. I hope some of the people put him number one on their ballot. I'm probably going to vote for Pascal Siakam, but Russell is a very deserving candidate, and it's nice to see him make progress entering the season and then during the season. All right, so you and I are on the same page regarding the Eastern Conference. I guess, uh, listen, we're fine with Orlando and Brooklyn being teams that have not made it in a while that would be there. If Miami makes it, the Wade story is at least a bit intriguing, and it would be fun to see him take over a playoff game maybe one last time. But with the way that they are in the standings, I would prefer Milwaukee, Orlando, Toronto, Brooklyn. You with me on that? Yeah, I would like that. That would be cool. Okay, that, and it was, cool. and I'm fine with Philly playing against Detroit. Whatever. Yeah, Detroit's Whatever. fun. I just hope yeah. Blake Griffin, you know, stays healthy. Hey, they've been really good the second half of the season. Yeah, they've been really great. good. Andre Drummond, Andre Drummond is a guy who has rightfully been knocked oh, throughout his career. I didn't even think exploded. about this. We would get the Drummond Embiid trash yes. talk. Yes, and, Dr- oh, and Drummond is on another level even. right now. I didn't even think about this. That would be unbelievable. That'd be great. Yeah, that would actually make, if I could pick the opponent for Detroit, that would be it. Because we would get, oh my goodness, that would be great. I like the odds of that actually happening too. Yeah. Because Philly is fixed in that three spot right now. And Detroit moving forward, their schedule is Indiana at OKC, who is just not a good team right now, versus Charlotte, versus Memphis, and then at the Knicks on the final day of the regular season. So they have five games left. I like their odds of staying in the sixth spot. We already talked earlier about how Brooklyn has a tough schedule. I'd be surprised if Miami were to pass Detroit or Orlando would somehow jump up to the six. That seems improbable. So I like Detroit in that sixth spot. That, that would be fun. Drummond versus Embiid. Let's go, baby. Well, that would be good. That would actually make that a lot more entertaining, that particular matchup. <laughs> how many games does that series go, though? Like, how deep does that go? Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if Detroit won a home game. Yeah, five game, fun five yeah. game series. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and and, and you yeah. and you could see Blake being the best player on the floor for one yeah, of the games. Yeah, for could, sure. Could see that. Maybe two. Maybe, maybe, yeah, two. maybe one or two of them. Yeah. You never know. I mean, they, hey, they have been really good in yeah. the second half of the year. It'd be pretty cool if they could win a couple of playoff games for Dwayne Casey's benefit, considering he got ran out of Toronto. I mean, he's done a very good job there. He's done a very good job there. All right, let me get to the Western Conference. Golden State and Denver. In fact, we will tell you, that is our NBA watch of the night tonight. And this is a huge game with Golden State hosting the Denver Nuggets on TNT tonight, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And remember, if you want to watch every NBA game, subscribe to NBA League Pass on NBA.com or from your preferred video provider. This is, right now, a game that could very well decide who ends up getting home court advantage in the playoffs because if Denver could win, 
Now that's really in play. And it feels like if Denver loses tonight, and obviously they are a real underdog, I think the Warriors were eight-point favorites tonight. But if they could, if, if Denver could pull the upset and win tonight, now that totally puts possibly getting the one seed in play. If they lose tonight, it ain't happening. So we have high stakes game going on uh, tonight, Kev. Well, when I was in Denver to, to write my feature, the first game against Portland, the crowd was just nuts. It was just a great Denver Nuggets crowd. But that second game against the Golden State Warriors, first of all, Warriors fans travel well. But that was the game where Golden State dropped. They travel. Fifth. They're not traveling. They live in those cities. Trust Fine. me. Fine. Well, regardless. <laughs> po- There's no. <laughs> regardless. Point is, is that was the game. Well, you where- think they're coming from Oakland <laughs> to Denver for the game? Come on, Kevin. I don't care. The, the point Every is, city around matter. the country. I don't care how they got there. I don't care <laughs> if they took the train. I don't care if they traveled by helicopter, Kobe style. I don't care if they walked there. They were in the building. <laughs> That's they it. Travel. And they that travel. <laughs> and that was talking about like they're Nebraska Cornhusker fans. <laughs> That's irrelevant. <laughs> what matters is that was the game where Golden State scored 51 in the first quarter. And yeah. I've never seen a quarter that explosive. And I think a win tonight for the Nuggets is just preventing that from happening. That's all. That's all. It's going to be hard to win this game in Oakland against the Warriors. It's not going to be easy. I, I think with Golden State moving forward, with how Denver has sort of slid as of late, Golden State's probably going to get the one seed. But you must admit, with this particular Warriors team, we have no idea. If they came out... I think we have an idea. No, I'm saying if they threw out a clunker, it would not be the most shocking thing ever. And if they went out and scored 45 points in the first quarter and had 100 by halftime it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. Like, no. we have seen it. It was just a few weeks ago where we talked about Boston. When everybody is down on Boston, get to go play there, and they beat the brakes off them. So, like, this Warriors team, it's been, obviously, boom, more than bust, but, like, there have been games where it's like, what happened there? You don't necessarily know. They have not been the model of consistency in terms of performance. And if Denver plays like their whole life is on the line, I don't know. I wouldn't think it's necessarily a foregone. Obviously, we know if the Warriors are locked in, nobody has that <laughs> has a great chance. But they haven't been locked in a lot throughout the year. Do you think, besides Houston, is there a team in the Western Conference that you feel confident could actually beat Golden State? Or is Houston not even in that? Like, can Denver beat Golden State in a seven-game series? Can Utah? OKC would have been the one, to me. OKC would have been the one. And I'm totally out on them. Mm-hmm. Totally out. Okay. All right. I would have told you during that three week span where George looked like where he had thrown himself in an MVP conversation, first team All NBA, the whole nine. Then I thought to he, myself, he's having like, an all time season. Really, yes. Right. Like he might not have won MVP, but just yeah. unbelievable. But it's obviously not the same right now. Mm-mm. And so I still think OKC might could win a game or two against them, but I don't think that they are a real threat. If it's not Houston, as you say. Which, of course, listen, anytime you've got Harden and Paul uh, with Capella, you've got a chance. But I would think that... God, that team's fun to watch. Outside of them, shut up. (laughs) Utah. Utah would be my other one. If I thought like somebody could play them tough, Utah would be the other one. Mm. But do I think anybody can beat them? The answer is no. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think Denver can make it an interesting series. Um, I don't. So you think, are you talking sweep here? 
I think Denver. Western Conference Finals. Western Conference Finals has Golden State Denver. Like, how far do you think that series goes? Because it's not going to be the way. Denver would not get past Houston if it's two and three. If yeah, they have to yeah, meet. Yeah, true. I guess it depends three. on how it shakes out. Yeah, right now, if you told me to predict, I would tell you it will be Golden State in Utah, Denver, Houston, with OKC having a chance. I don't know who you who do you want to play against Isaac? Your Clippers in the first round? You talking about? Yeah, you'd rather drop to seven than play Houston. I think Denver or Portland. Uh, is probably the ideal matchup for the Clippers. But you would certainly rather play Denver than Houston? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no question. Okay, well, then you then you need your team to drop a spot. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I don't think it's that unlikely that the Clippers could be the five seed by the end of this. Oh. Yeah. We'll see how, how it shakes out. The Jazz are quite good. But uh, yeah. it's not completely unlikely. Yeah, not completely unlikely. Um, Of those bottom three... Wouldn't you agree with me, Kev, that you would believe probably in Oklahoma City the most? I know I just crapped all over them, but I still would just because of the two guys, right? That you've got two cracks at having uh, the best the player Clippers, on the floor. Spurs and Thunder. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. Maybe this is recency bias slipping in here, but I'm not so sure that it is. Cause so much of the confidence in them at the time was in Paul George having an MVP caliber season. And without him having that, his, his shooting efficiency has just fallen off a cliff since he came back from that shoulder injury. Just fallen off. We've talked about this before. We've, we've spit out the stats. It's the same. I don't know if I can feel that way anymore. I think with San Antonio, the defense that they've played as of late, there are different styles that they, they take on depending on which personnel is on the floor with Aldridge and DeRozan, uh, more mid-range, and then everybody else shooting a lot of threes. They have a lot of good players on their roster and they can play different ways. Now, obviously they have Greg Popovich as well. And then with LA Clippers as well, another team with a lot of good players. It feels silly to say I would take them over OKC right now, but I'm not so sure things are, are the same anymore. I, I think with OKC, with Paul George's regression um, or whatever's happened with him, with the injury, it changes everything for that roster as a whole. They just don't have the amount of depth that some of these other teams have. I, I think I would take both Clippers and Spurs over OKC entering the playoffs. Wow. Unless, unless Paul George, unless Paul, you know, if you're telling me Paul George doesn't get better from what he is now, I would stand by what I just said. But if, if you're telling me Paul George gets back to 85% of what he was when he was at his peak this season, that things would change. But there just right. has been no reason to believe that he will. There's something Would wrong you with at him. least agree with me on if I told you Oklahoma City beat Denver that you would not be totally blown away. I would be surprised. You would. Yeah, I think Denver's a really good team. They have slid as of late, but that's another team that has depth and the ability to play different ways, depending on who they throw out there. They have options. And if anything, that's been one of the issues as of late is like they have so many guys, you know. Yeah, I know, but it's just it's just 95% of the time the young up and coming team has to lose before they win. And they've taken no losses yet, right? Like, you know, high stakes, playoff losses. But are you really trusting Russell Westbrook? I mean, you you got the first round two years in a row. I get it. I get it. Like, is there any reason to trust that that they will get out of the first round this season when Paul George is playing the way he has as of late? And like I love I love the season that Paul George was having, but right now it's just not the same. He's fallen out of the MVP race. He definitely isn't first team all NBA right now. I just think that they've done nothing the last 20 games for me to believe that, okay? But if there's a switch, it could be flipped. Their ceiling, if they're at their best with Russ 
and Paul George and Steven Adams that their ceiling is greater than the other two. Again, you're betting on a lot. You're betting on something that has not taken place in the last quarter of the season. But if it does, they're a problem. They're a real problem. Sure. A hundred percent with you. More so than those other teams. Like I think their potential is top four seed and they just have underwhelmed greatly. I do not think that those other teams have that potential. I think they've probably maxed out what they have, the Clippers and the Spurs. I think that's very fair. I agree with you totally. But I'm I'm, I'm fine with these matchups. You'd get the, uh, listen, if it does shake out the way the projections are right now, it'd be Golden State and the Spurs, Denver, OKC, Houston versus... No, it would the, be it would be Denver, San Antonio. No, 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 no. Right? I'm saying the projections. Oh, the projections. The projections, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. taking into account the rest of their schedule, the analysis says it would be Golden State, San Antonio, Denver, OKC, Houston Clippers. Oh, so we get to see the Chris Paul trade on the floor. There you go. <laughs> and then Portland, Utah. That's what it says right now. So honestly, you could, you know, shuffle these matchups any way you want to. They're all pretty good in the West. They're all pretty good. Yeah. I agree with you. I think for a long time we thought that Golden State is much more vulnerable than they've ever been, but then you look at it and you're like, all right, which of these teams you want to bank on beating them? And that's hard, <laughs> right? I don't feel great about it. I don't feel great about putting my head on a guillotine for any of these. Uh, Kevin, we've got to talk about the NBA draft. We'll take a quick break. And on the other side, I want to ask you about the NCAA tournament and some of these prospects and how they performed. We'll do that after these words. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by SHIP. Men, if you're ready for a new way to date online, listen up. SHIP. S. H-I-P is awesome. It's 75% women right now, so your odds are great. And in addition to searching for someone special on your own, you can recruit your inner relationship or married friends to join your crew and help you date. That's right. Ship is the new dating app that lets your friends set you up. Here's how it works. If you're single, you sign up and you invite your friends to join your crew. If you're not single, you just sign up and invite a single friend that you want to find matches for. Then you start looking for matches either for yourself or for your friend. The best part, there's a group chat so you and your friends can look at people's profiles together, strategize on what your opening line is going to be, etc. Dating is more fun when you do it with friends. Download SHIP for free at getshipped.com slash NBA to start today. That's getshipped, G-E-T-S-H-I-P-P-E-D.com slash NBA. All right, Kevin, so the NCAA tournament is now down to a Final Four with Michigan State, Texas Tech, Virginia, and Auburn. Those are the four schools left. I suppose by many of the mock drafts that have come out, the two highest-rated players for the next level are Jarrett Culver at Texas Tech and DeAndre Hunter at Virginia. I'll give you my opinion first. I will tell you, I have ended up liking Culver a lot more, and I have gotten much more lukewarm on DeAndre Hunter. What about you? Well, I mean, I'm feeling lukewarm on both of them, really. Uh, I think with Culver, he had some issues getting past NBA-caliber athletes, creating off the dribble. And with Culver, he's somebody who he hits a lot of tough mid-range jump shots. 
at this level. And that I believe we said this last week. That's a good thing in the sense that it's nice to see him hitting tough, contested shots, but it's a bad thing in the sense that his shot creation is not great. He's stiff with the ball in his hands. He doesn't have a great first step. He doesn't have a great second step either. That move, you know, where guys just extend to create space against their defender. He he doesn't have those little quirks in his game. We've seen that. He had a very inefficient weekend, even though Texas Tech had success. Yeah, Culver has a long way to go, but he looks like a good player um, once he does develop as you project his three-point shot forward. The fact that he plays hard, that he works hard, all of these positive qualities, he's going to be a good player. But I didn't love him this weekend. And then with DeAndre Hunter, it wasn't great. He, His game is just slow. He's a slow decision maker. He has a slow shooting release. I just don't see it with him on the offensive end of the floor. Like There was talk, I think, some of the talk that's been out there about taking him again ahead of like RJ Barrett, I think is just ridiculous. What the hell? That talk's silly, Chris. But with DeAndre Hunter, he he's more like just a good role player. Barrett's the guy who has star upside. Hunter is somebody he has a lane to be a very good role player. In in the Ringers NBA draft guide, I have Luol Deng, Damari Carroll, and Jay Crowder as three of the the shades of comparison for DeAndre Hunter. He can be a good player. But as we saw this weekend with Virginia and the whole tournament for that matter, he's just slow offensively. He's not a great decision maker, a solid shooter when he has space, but he has a slow release. There's questions with him on the end of the floor. The defense, that's going to be what gives him a chance to be really good in the NBA because of his size and versatility. Um, But I, I would like to see more from him on the offensive end at 21 years old. I always want to give people credit for their work when we are doing the show. And so that whole R.J. Barrett, Hunter talk. Um, I will mention that was theblindscout.com. If anybody <laughs> wants to check that out, that's you're giving away a pretty good name for like a the podcast or yeah, the, the podcast <laughs> or a website. The blind, the blind that's scout. Good, that's actually a really good go. name. The I blind scout. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder if anybody owns it. Somebody's going to own it by uh, 8 p.m. Eastern tonight. I promise I you that. Sh- I think we should buy that. Well, yeah. Jump on it. Thebloodscout.com. Like, whatever. Like that. It almost sounds like maybe it's a band name, The Blind Scout. The Blind Scout. Um, that's the guy that actually has the Andre Hunter ranked over R.J. Barrett. Um, R.J. Barrett super pissed me off at the end of that game, but I can still see the talent that goes along with that guy. It is undeniable. He's big. He's got good vision. Yeah, and that's the thing. He has good vision. Like, that dude can pass. Well, like, how about you give it to the big, unstoppable Ugh. guy? Like, is that... Is I that just, possible? So I don't get it. I, I, I need to say this about RJ real quick. Yeah. I just don't understand because he has these moments where at 6'7", he has the natural height to see over the defense. Then he makes passes that other guys just cannot make. Tough, difficult cross-court passes, smart reads where it's like, ooh, this guy with his size, he can be yep. a great playmaker. And he can be. But sometimes it's like by choice, he puts the blinders on. And just is a total black hole driving to the rim where he will not pass no matter what, no matter how much you're screaming at your TV, as much as Coach K is, those thoughts are running through his head, kick it out, kick it out, kick it out. He doesn't. And part of that, I wonder how much of it is it symptom empowerment to score um, by Coach K because they don't have good shooters on their team. You're not kicking it out to a 40% three-point shooter. You're kicking it out to a 30% three-point shooter. How much of it is that, that his understanding that, like, (laughs) I have a better chance of drawing a foul and getting to the line here than I am at kicking it out to some crappy shooter? Is it that, 
Or is it the fact that like he just gets into this mode where when he sees yes. Zion do these crazy things, he's like, now I got to do something. I got to, yeah. I got to do it. Because sometimes it feels like that. Either way, he has these moments, Chris, where as you just said, it's great vision, and you <laughs> you project forward and you're like, this guy can be a, a great playmaker for your team. But then there's those times where he just makes these dumb decisions, dude, and it it is infuriating. But I, I still, you know, moving forward, I lean towards the the positive with him. He's a smart player, a hardworking player. Everything I've heard about him, he's won at every level. Team Canada has invested so much in him. He comes from a basketball family. Uh, I think RJ wants to be a really good player, and I think at some point things will click for him, and some of these concerns now may persist. Maybe he'll always have moments where he makes quote-unquote selfish plays, but I think for the most part, I feel good about RJ being a good player. He's gone from slightly overrated to very underrated, in my opinion. Yeah, Zion obviously lived up to the billing. The guy's unbelievable, super dominant all year. And when the lights came on, the brightest, when you are projected to go number one, there are guys like Derrick Rose who raised his level, Zion Williamson. And then there's the other guys, which maybe we should have seen it coming with somebody like Andrew Wiggins, who right disappeared completely and got knocked out by the Stanford team had no business. You just didn't even notice him on the court. Uh, So some guys, some guys aren't there when it matters most. And some guys are, and Zion lived up to the billing Barrett. While I got frustrated with him at the end, I still like to me, I don't know, as this is shaken out, it's Zion and Morant. This is what I told you last week. And I think there's a drop. And then I think Barrett's right there by himself, but like, bro, get this cam reddish thing off my mock drafts. Like, no, No, I don't like, I don't, he's been up there at like four throughout this year. I mean, listen, the guys that have been at like four, the reddishes, the hunters and the Culvers and all of these guys, like, I do think there is a total open door from four down. I will be stunned if the top three is not Zion, Morant and Barrett. And then once we get to four, I mean, like at this point I'm looking and I'm going, shit, it could be Darius Garland. Like if you told it's me at least well he's could a, be. at least he's very unknown, well. you know what I'm saying? Like at least I don't know. Whereas like I mean the reddish thing, like I don't get it. I, I honestly I don't get I, it. I have a question for you right. about Cam Reddish. Okay. Yep. Let's say he was not the number two high school recruit. Let's say he was not number two behind RJ Barrett, not number two ahead of Zion Williamson right. and all these other guys. Let's say he wasn't. Let's say we didn't know Cam Reddish entering Duke. I do wonder how much of, of our criticism of him, rightful criticism of, of his style, is due to the status that he entered college with. Like, like let's, let's just say let's just say we didn't know who Cam Reddish was. Would you look at him and be like, ooh, those are some nice plashes, you know, six eight, six nine from the perimeter? What certainly, will he be in eight years? Yeah, uh, you certainly know what I mean? the expectations do hurt that. But I mean, we're seeing that with this. There's a top 10 high school kid that was on that Duke team last year. I don't even know if he got drafted. Maybe he got drafted in the 50s at Trayvon Duvall. You know, I mean, Trayvon Duvall was in the top five or 10 of every recruiting ranking under the sun. Duvall can't shoot, though. I get it. But he's also small. Well, Cam Reddish, like, where is the motor? I know, and I, I'm right there with you. I agree. I, I, all I'm saying is, like, how much of it is it due to the expectations and the perception of him as a elite high school recruit entering college? Whereas, like I said, if he were a non-top 100 guy and he popped up onto the scene randomly on Duke or some other team and he had an identical season to what he had, 
which was not great. But he had yep. some moments. He had some totally moments. Fair. Yeah, and like his defense was good towards the end of the season. Long, versatile defender. And yeah, he fades. But I do wonder, would we be like, oh, maybe he's someone who's a raw project. But five years from now, you're gambling on him figuring things out. Like that's still true with him. And I look at those guys after the top three with Zion and then however you want to go with Morant and Barrett. I still look at Reddish at four and I'm like, I realize I might lose my job by the time he ends up being a player. But I do wonder, though, if he does end up being a guy five, six years from now, it's just going to take a long time for him or it will never happen because he doesn't seem to have that mindset. He doesn't seem to have that you know, dog in him. Like Zion said after their game, he's like, killer's kill. I'm not sure Cam Reddish has that. Um, You're not sure? No, no uh, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> I mean, I am. We, we know he doesn't have that. <laughs> right. We know he doesn't have that. You don't develop that, Kevin. I know you don't. I know, yeah, but the, here's the thing, though. It's okay if you don't have it. Like, not everybody has that. He can still be a good player and not have that. That's right. You're Andrew Wiggins. Sure. You're Rudy Gay. Sure. You're Jeff Green. You're, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, sure. A talented guy that frustrates the hell and yeah. gets you fired. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. My only point is with him, I wonder how much of it is perception. And maybe right. 10 years from now, we look back and be like, oh, yeah, all those pre-draft criticisms of Cam Reddish were overblown. But they're not overblown because they're, they're real. Not. They're real because yep. in the moment they're real. But I yep. do wonder if they end up not mattering quite as much 10 years from now. A guy at 6'8", who can create on the perimeter, who can hit shots off the dribble, well, create space off the dribble, I can pass he, Listen, well. I, I juxtapose his performance and what I watched in the tournament against the kid from Carolina, Little, who obviously wasn't able to play the, the end at full strength. But Little, who throughout the year, you're kind of like, all right, where is it? Like, why was this guy ranked in the top five, top ten? <laughs> yeah. And then when the brightest lights came on, that kid, like there's a five-minute span in one of those games. I mean, he dominates both ends of the court completely. And you see it, like at least I saw there, like, oh, okay, I get it now, right, with this dude, because he is, like, murdering everybody. Like, that never happened. That flash of, like, three minutes where you were like, whoa, who's this guy for Duke? So I tell you, like, there's two different prospects, both incredibly highly rated, and there's nothing more I would have loved to have seen than Cam Reddish just be the best player on the floor for five minutes. I mean, hell, you know who was the best player on the floor for five minutes in the second round Duke game? The Jones kid, Tyus's little brother. Trey Jones. He took over the game completely. Like there's a five minute span where he was just like, if you didn't know anything about any of these guys, you'd be like, my God, that point guard's awesome. And you saw him, he was the one breaking down the most at the end of the game. Like, I love that. I love kids that care that much. And so you just, I don't know. I kept on waiting for it with Reddish. Well, one quick note on Sierra Little. Uh, I, I think with him, like he has really struggled this season. And I'm not high on him at all. But I will just say this in his favor. He was a late bloomer in high school to rise to become an elite recruit. And with him, very raw right now, he could also be a late bloomer in college, right? And he's not going to stay four years, but if he were, he could be a late bloomer. And, and, and hey, Yeah, don't could, get me wrong. Yeah. I'm, I'm not in love with the kid, but if somebody told me, hey, did you watch that, right? Like there was at least a time where I watched him and he was the best player on the floor. That's happened. Yeah, for a couple minutes. I didn't see that with Reddish at all. Um, Let's get to the big one. I have never seen a performance like the performance over the weekend from Carson Edwards. Oh, that was, oh my goodness. And my son, unbelievably, who is nine years old, after I made, we watched all the highlights together the next morning, 
said he reminded him of Celtics Isaiah Thomas, yeah. which I was like, why didn't I come up with this? That's, uh, a, good, that's a good comp. Idea? Well, because he had 42 points and zero assists, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but it is like a reasonable comp. And I will tell you that there's, there's going to be people that knock it like, who does he guard? And he's so small. And where does he fit in the NBA? What, listen, let me tell you something. If you could shoot the ball like that, 10 feet behind the three-point line, you can be just fine, right? We'll find you a spot. Um, that was unbelievable, Kevin. Unbelievable. And I've got to wonder, Carson Edwards has not been on anybody's list, certainly not high on anybody's list. And he's not going to go high in the NBA draft, but he certainly, if he enters his name, goes to that combine, breaks some people off at those, I don't know. It's been few and far between, and I feel like you watch that, and then he'll come in the NBA, and like he'll have 31 night, and it'll be like, why did everybody pass on him? Because we all saw it, right? Like, using the highest stakes game of his life, the kid like was absolutely unstoppable. What are you thinking on Edwards? Well, I mean, he's somebody that some of the questions when he tested the waters last year still persist with the playmaking ability. As you mentioned, the zero assist couldn't successfully execute that pass at the end of the game when Purdue lost. Those are still questions with him. He's small. Defense is going to be a question moving forward. So really, it's like the mold for him is, you know, you're looking at these spark plug point guards that come off the bench and just light it up. You're not asking for playmaking for them. You're not asking for defense. You're just asking for buckets. And in that sense, in this year's draft, I would feel good about drafting Carson Edwards if that's what you need. I think when you draft Carson Edwards, you're drafting for need. You're drafting a a young point guard who's going to enter the league at 21 years old that can hopefully contribute early on on a rookie contract. I think it's a a bit much to expect more than him being a a six-man for you. But that's okay if you're drafting that with like the, the 18th, 19th, 20th pick. I'd be happy with that, wouldn't you? Oh, you gotta be ecstatic about that. It's not a question of if he can get buckets. It's only a question of how many he can get. Yeah. (laughs) That guy, I've never seen anything like that, Kev. Like, that's not hyperbole. Anybody go back and watch that, those highlights. I mean, that dude is pulling 10 feet behind that college three line. And look, I mean, with guys running at him, coming off screens. I mean, he was just outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. And he did it every friggin' round, every round. He almost carried that team to the friggin' Final Four. And nobody knows anybody else on that team. (laughs) Nobody. He really almost put that team completely on his back and drug them to the Final Four. So I mean, there's still going to be questions with him moving forward. um, But I do like him as a gamble in in the late first round. All right. Did the Gonzaga kids, did your opinion change on either of them, positively or negatively, uh, Hachimura and Clark? Um, Not really. My opinion really didn't change with either of them, Chris. I think with Clark, depending on who you talk to in the NBA, he's a love him or hate him prospect. Right now at 22, he'll turn 23 during his rookie season. With his age, people question the upside. The the jump shot has improved a little bit, but still not quite where you want it to be. Personally, I really like Clark. Despite some of his, his limitations, I think he can play a versatile defensive role for you. He's a smart player. I think some of the things he's asked to do at Gonzaga aren't things he's going to have to do in the NBA. So those limitations or those weaknesses are irrelevant in that sense. It's just a matter of where you're drafting him. Some people have him ranked in the lottery. There's others who have him ranked in the late first round. 
it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. Whereas with Rui, he shows some really strong moments on the defensive end of the floor, but then some moments where he looks like he doesn't have a clue of what he's doing. Honestly, man, like it's kind of weird to say this, but with Rui, like if he comes out now, I do wonder if there's incentive for him to go back for one year because he's improved drastically each season at Gonzaga. Maybe you go back and after your senior season, you make another leap. Maybe the leap this season as a senior comes on the defensive end of the floor. This season it was on offense. Maybe next year it's the defense that makes a leap, and then you enter uh, I think the it'd be a little draft. scary. I, I think it'd be a little scary just because this is a weak draft. But ne- next year it won't necessarily be much stronger. It might not be that much stronger, but again, you have a whole nother year for everybody to pick you apart. Yep. The unknown is always to your benefit. And if you don't get better, then then it's like, no, oh, you got to strike while the iron's hot. The unknown is always to your benefit. It really is, unless you are going to greatly improve. What typically happens is you go back to school and then we pick you apart completely. I mean, he's um, already been there for three years now as a junior. I get it. I get it. Well, and then you got guys like Kevin O'Connor next year saying he's going to be 21. No, you know, I, listen, listen here's, know. Here, let me just say this about age, especially in this year's draft. Carson Edwards at 21, Brandon Clark at 22. Some of these guys may have you know less upside because of their age, but the advantage of drafting an older guy is the fact that on paper, he may be more ready to contribute on a rookie deal in a draft where there's going to be a lot of swings and misses in this year's draft yep. class on younger guys. Let me ask you about one of the other games real quick. Um, I do feel like PJ Washington made himself some money. And he was good, man. I like the him. Harper kid at Auburn is no lie, no hyperbole. That is one of the fastest guys with a basketball that I've ever seen in my life. That was outrageous. He is playing in a game loaded with athletes, and it looked like he was like from like the friggin' Incredibles or something. He's like <laughs> flying past everybody. Like yeah. they're all going one speed. And then this dude is like end to end. I was like, my God, this guy is faster than shit. So I feel like that's a perfect one, right? Like, I don't know if Harper would enter his name or whatever, but it's like, whatever the opinion of somebody is like Carson Edwards, he's not going to make your opinion greater of him than it is right now. And I guess we're going to see in the Virginia game with the Harper kid, but speed kills and that kid has got it. And I will say on the other side, PJ Washington, you know, we probably, probably becomes like a high level role player. I think is destiny in the NBA, which are great to have, but I think there's no doubt he made himself some yeah. money because he was awesome in that game. I mean, in the draft guy, I don't, I don't love these comps that we have for him, but we have Taj Gibson, Jeremy Grant, Bryce Johnson. I'm open to suggestions on better ones because Grant is better as a defender and so is Gibson than Washington is. Well, I actually went back. I was thinking about this and this guy's probably a better defender too. Of course, it comes to mind and it's kind of lazy just because he bears the same name, but he is a little PJ Brownie. I don't know if that's, you know, yeah, yeah, if, if you'd have been too young. Bad. No, no, I know. <laughs> Maybe some of our listeners, but I, yeah, I know. Yeah, PJ but Brown. I mean, PJ, PJ Brown could be a starter on, on a good team, right? Very good career, but role player. He's a high level role guy that you like having on your team. And I know it obviously comes to mind simply because they're both named PJ, but he does kind of remind <laughs> me a little bit of that. <laughs> that you is, know, he does. Yeah, that's an all-time crazy comp. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Well, I mean, it's not like I, it's, it's right. I, I don't know. I guess. I guess it could have been. It could have been even later. Hey, what is another guy named PJ? Oh, PJ Brown. But it, 
it stands to reason they are like each other in many ways, honestly. P.J. Brown could stretch out and knock down a three for you. And P.J. Brown played hard and, you know, was a fiery guy. And obviously Washington brings that to the table. Chris, you know kind of like him. You know who you remind me of, Chris? Don't you dare. Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to say Chris Pratt. <laughs> Chris Kringle. I don't know. Uh, all right. Uh, here's, here's what I know. With the NCAA tournament now, I suppose Culver and Hunter could probably, oh, Ty Jerome. Hey, you know how I always talk to you about the Malcolm Brogdons and mm. the, what's the kid's name at Nova that's playing point guard? Uh, Brunson. Brunson. The Jalen Brunsons, the Fred Van Vliet, the veteran guard that gets drafted later than he probably should. It becomes essential, possibly, for an NBA team. I, I do feel that with the Jerome kid. Good player. I like yeah. him, Kev. I like him. This year's draft class, there's some solid potential role players in there. Oh, there will 100% be the misses that we were talking about. And then I do feel like this is one of those years where we're going to get down and we're going to go, how the hell did John Collins go 20 or whatever, right? I do feel that. Poor defense. I feel like you're going to be able That's to wild. find people in the second half of the first round that I would not be surprised if there's a couple of them that are in the second half of that first round that end up being guys that within one to three years time we look and go they should have gone in the top 10 sure yeah it's a hard draft to scout it really is i mean it's it's a hard draft but a fun draft in the sense that people within the league i'm not sure if this will be true publicly but like i think people are gonna have drastically different rankings you know a gm might have totally different rankings than his second guy in command the assistant general manager it is yep. going to be different across the league. On draft night, there's going to be some, whoa, what are they thinking picks? You know, like Draft Express has this guy ranked 40. How is he going 10? Yep. You know, the ringer has this guy ranked 15. How'd he end up falling to 40? Like, there's going to be some of that. And I look forward to the madness on draft night. It's going to be a good time. We're lots of long ways away. It is, but this is the last time we get to see these college kids yep. playing yep. before it gets to that point. Kevin, it is always a pleasure. I will talk to you next week. See you, Chris. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars really helps. And we will talk to you next week. Yeah!